This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. It is also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. And this is Indigo Radio. We are deepening understanding, making connections. Um, we're on the air every Sunday at 1 o'clock. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook, in, and Instagram, and Twitter, and iTunes podcast, and, all, and Facebook, everywhere. Um, and just look for us at Indigo Radio. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. My name is Nina Kunimoto, um, and I am a local educator and an educator in the Spark Teacher Education Program. Um, and with me, my co-host is Patrice. Hi, Nina. Nice to be with you again here yeah. at Indigo Radio. I'm a member of the Spark, Spark Teacher Education program and also am a, an adjunct faculty member at King State teaching in the Women and Gender Studies program. And today we're excited to be here with Perpetual Anastasia. This is actually the third part of a three-part series that started on, what was the date? Let me get the date here. Oh, wow. um, Seven ten. Yeah. The Supreme Court decision and the thoughts of youth about what's happening in the world. And you can listen to that part one. Um, as Nina said, we're on Facebook, Instagram. You can check us out. The second part was the importance of women and gender studies programs and the recent decision to remove the women and gender studies major at Keene State. And we had the host, uh, I mean, a, a guest, Dr. Karen Cangiolosi with us. And that was on August 7th. So, and today we're here again with Perpetual Anastasia, as I mentioned, and we're going to talk about um, what it is to be a doula, yeah. and uh, particularly in the context of um, enslavement, um, what it is for black women today. We'll also talk about black feminism, mm -hmm. um, and um, other, there are different, different segments that we're going to talk about, but they're all really couched in this notion of what it is to be a doula. Yeah, absolutely. And I and it was very exciting to learn a, more about it and I didn't know much about it until I spoke with um no, Perpetual. Me either. So, um before we launch into our interview with Perpetual, we're going to start out with a song as we always do. Um and so our first song is Sweet Honey and the Rock performed mm. who performs Ella's song. So here we go. 
We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom, oh no, 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 no. We who believe cannot rest until it comes. Well now, we who believe, we who believe in freedom cannot we rest. Every day when we wake up in the morning, we're able to exercise choice. We cannot rest until we all have that choice, that God-given choice to exercise. We cannot rest until the killing of black men, black mother sons, is as important as the killing of a white man, a white mother sons. Oh, we who believe in freedom, we believe in freedom, cannot rest, cannot. We who believe in freedom, we believe in freedom, cannot rest. Tell you that which touches me most is that I had the chance to work with people, and I'm passing on to others that which was passed on to me. Woe to me, young people come first. They have the courage where we fail. And if I could but shed some light as they carry us through the gale. Come on now, we who believe in freedom. We believe in freedom cannot rest. Cannot rest. We who believe in freedom. We believe in freedom cannot rest. I tell you, struggling myself don't mean a whole lot. I've come. To realize that teaching others to stand and fight, it is the only way our struggle survives. I'm a woman who speaks in a voice, and I must be heard. At times I can be quite difficult, I'll bow to no man's word. Come on now, we who believe in freedom, we believe in freedom, cannot rest. Oh, no. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WBEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And I had a hard time turning that music off. That was Sweet Honey oh, yeah. in the Rock, Ella's uh, song. So beautiful and also so um, fitting for our interview with Perpetual um, Anastasia Hayfront. And um, I won't introduce 
perpetual because she introduces herself so beautifully um, in the interview. Uh, so in this first part, uh, Perpetual talks about the, she introduces herself, but she also talks about the work of the doula um, and its sort of entanglements in enslavement and, um, and it's turning into medicalization. Um, so here is... Nina, I have to tell you a story yeah. before you start. Yeah. You, you, haven't, you don't know this story, but when I was listening to that song... I have to shout out to Dr. Janaki Natarajan because when I was at Keene State as a student activities director, she was there as a faculty member, and we brought Sweet Honey in the Rock to Keene State, and we were so excited when they said yes, and anyway, the place was packed, but after the show was over, we go to the bus with them, and they invite us to go with them, and for a hot minute, we almost oh stayed on gosh. the bus. <laughs> anyway, just was thinking about Johnny. He wanted to shout out to oh her. Oh, my gosh. I, I, and I see that poster at her house, too. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, I, I feel like we're, we need to... We I cannot I've been rest. thinking about yeah. that, and, and, and you had mentioned, right, I forgot, um, it's the hundredth... Um, is oh. the hundredth? Hundred, it would have been Howard Zinn would He'd have been a be hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one of the things that I think about, you know, as as a as an educator, but also as a, as a activist, I guess if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. um, is you know to be on the streets, and so you know, hopping on that bus would you know would have been the thing to do in the '60s, you know, yeah. to be at the place, to be in the South, um, to be in those places of struggle, struggling with with the people so thanks thanks for sharing that (laughs) i will introduce myself as so my full name is perpetual anastasia i drew a base with hate front so there we go so if we're going to talk about the parts right so that's the that's the full name in its entirety um and i'm just gonna i'm gonna introduce myself as a human who is at a point in their life does whatever they want in order to have a sustainable living. And I'm able to do that um, in a multitude of ways. And I would say if I identified as any one thing um, that embodies all of my pursuits, I would identify as an altruistic hedonist. For the listeners who, who are not aware um, Perpetual is uh, currently a doctoral student, and I, you have, you are paving your own path, and I really appreciate that in in a very creative, artistic, and in a, in a grounded way. So thank you. Yeah, because right, like, and and you're a doctoral student too, right? <laughs> but like, that's not all you are. Right. So, right. And and I and we are conditioned. I believe once we're born into this particular society, America, America, um, but just a colonized society in general, that that limits our experience as human beings mm-hmm. to one particular thing and living in one particular way. But human development is a complete contradiction of that. Yeah. Mm hmm. We're whole human beings. With- right. And life is a spectrum. So at the end of the day, even us being doctoral students, we're not doctoral students. We're students of life. Yeah. And doc- and the doctoral journey is just one stop on this like 
path of life. You know what I mean? My, I don't feel like I, my identity is not tied to anything that I do. Right. Um, if anything, because I, I know I have the liberty and freedom to do whatever it is that I want. Mm -hmm. That's what my identity lies in. Now I'm going to sort of segue into my curiosity too. Yes. Um, so I wonder if you could tell me, us, um, about your work um, as a doula. What do doulas do? And, and if you can, like, I would love to learn the history of doula work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a doula provides social and emotional support to a birthing person, right? And so with that being said, um, what brought me particularly into doula work, um, I, have a, I have a background in social work. Um, I worked for the Department of Children and Families in Massachusetts um, for three years in that particular type of social work within a government entity um, and within that system um, was really soul-wrenching work. And, but it was also really enlightening work, um, especially from a clinical perspective as I'm assessing families and individuals and so on and so forth and their lived experiences, those assessments are challenging me to assess my own. And so I learned a lot about myself, um, particularly the ways in which I have been conditioned as a black woman to negate my uh, my humanity in order to survive, right? And so with that being said, then within that work, I also got a very real reality check that no matter how hard you work, how you show up, what your presentation is, especially as someone who is a Black woman, it doesn't matter, you're still a number, right? And so once you're, you're once you once you can no longer give, there's nothing else for anybody to take from you, you're not useful. Um, and I had to sit with that, right? And so those are the things, um, some of the factors, should I say, that led to me pursuing doula work because in having all of those realizations, I could not in good conscience say, I'm going to go back to that work. Why would I do that? I could do it to survive, right? But they're surviving. It's not sustainable. It's what it's what's killing me. And so with that being said, um, I was looking to identify what I was going to do while I was in that liminal space, right? And these realizations, but knowing like, I can't go back, but I have to figure something out while also doing doctoral work. And that also caused me to take a, a, a good hard look at like the mental health system because I also didn't want to be a therapist um, due to the fact that the DSM-5 does not recognize racial trauma as a mental health diagnosis, right? And so as a Black queer woman, and especially with queerness, I, not we're not talking sexuality and just uh, we're talking about the space between all the binaries that exist in life. And so with that being said, I couldn't subscribe to that either, knowing that there's that gap, right? And so that's what my dissertation work 
speaks to, and that's what I'm exploring, particularly the mental health of Black millennial women. And so with that being said, I'm like, but I still want to work with children and families. I still want to work in communities and with and alongside populations that are marginalized. And so where can I do that? And I had friends who had doulas during their pregnancies and had said all these wonderful things. So I remember I went for a Reiki session and I had had like basically all of these things that I'm saying to you now came out in that session. Um, and I had spoken to a friend earlier prior to that session about becoming a doula and just wanting her insight because I was trying to make this pivot from social work into something else, but still wanting to, you know, embody all of these different factors such as education and not necessarily going to work in a system that I know is flawed, but then act like those flaws aren't there. Like I knew it wasn't going to work. So what was, what was going to be the, um, I guess the middle ground, right? And so doula work was that. And in talking about this at the Reiki, within my Reiki session, um, she pulled out her phone and was like, oh, my friend has a doula school and she is offering these, like she has these sessions, like, for doula training. And I remember I used my rent money to pay for those sessions to, and I, 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 it was July of 2019. I, I paid that. I drove up to New York to Brooklyn because that was another thing. And this is what we talk about. This is just a, a tear in like reproductive health, right? Curriculum. And so with that being said, when we're talking about curriculum, like in med schools, also, but like doula curriculums, one thing that I had a very difficult time finding, especially because my mother is from Liberia, my father is from West Africa. So one of the biggest things that I remember is um, growing up, babies being carried on their mom's back. And so not in a harness or anything like that, but just with a cloth. And, and so that's how I grew up. I, I raised like my, my nieces and stuff that way. So I couldn't find those ancestral practices in doula curriculums. And that also showed me where the colonization of this work came in. And so I'm going to use that to segue into the history of doulas, because the reason why I believe doulas are so obscure, especially when it comes to reproductive health, is due to the fact that um, they were originally called granny midwives. Granny midwives were in majority enslaved Black women who were on plantations that were responsible for taking care of the slave master's family and the slave master themselves. And that includes not just giving birth, but also wet nursing and breastfeeding, but they're not doing that with their own children. And so outside of childbirth, when these families would fall ill and fall sick, they're also tending to those families. Howsoever, when slavery was quote unquote abolished during those times, and so then enslaved Black people are set free, quote unquote, that being said, then how are they supposed to make a living, right? Um, and so there's this knowledge, but they have no schooling, they have no credentials, but we know why enslaved Black people were illiterate. And so with that being said, 
there comes this, the, the oppression, right? And so that from that time, birth became medicalized. And so with that being said, with no education, who just because you have experience giving birth, do you have credentials? You can't go to med school. So it became an obscure practice and occupation within the Black community. And it became something that was very whitewashed and colonized and systemic. And so with that being said, now doulas are all of a sudden on this rise because the Black maternal death rate is 42%. And so in this conversation, I feel like we have a nice roadmap, right? We've talked about how racial trauma is not a diagnosis within the DSM-5. This is not showing up in ancestral practices and things of that nature are not showing up in medical school curriculums, doula curriculums, or anything of that nature. How are people supposed to specifically, providers, supposed to be able to address their, their internal biases when culturally, right, colonization exists? And so white is right. And so Black people, specifically Black birthing people, are, are seen as histrionic during birth or medication seeking and all of these things because there's all these other stereotypes that we haven't discussed, but they are, they are there. And these microaggressions and these racist, uh, violent behaviors are killing Black people and their children. Welcome back. You're listening to WBEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM. And that was Perpetual. Um, and she was talking about uh, the history of, of doulas um, and specifically black women who were doulas. Um, Patrice, what are some of your thoughts? Well, you know, it was interesting when I was listening to her this time, I particularly heard again that the DSM-5 does not recognize racial trauma. And um, the APA, actually in October, and I went back and, and looked for it, um, they actually made an apology to people of color for their role in promoting, perpetuating, and failing to challenge racism, racial discrimination, and human hierarchy in the U.S. And, you know, they, they talked about... Um, the their role in actually perpetuating and it was I actually attended the presentation and I just remembered um, that when when she was speaking and I think you know it makes me feel like I want to address that with them you know the APA mm -hmm. and find out why in the DSM five why that that needs to be changed I mean that that's one of the things that occurred to me when she was speaking. Um, for sure. And, I, you know, I, I really related to her comment about identity limits us. Mm. That whole notion of what we do or what we, whether we're doctoral students or what we are, um, limits our experience as human beings. Yeah. Um, and, and I think she said somewhere, I, maybe I, I was thinking that whole notion of identity really lies, if it is such a thing that guides us, is really about freedom or liberation. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to add to that, you know, that containing ourselves in, in a one identity or mm -hmm. another, not that we don't have them, but also it prevents us from, from, it prevents us from working with other people. I guess that might be the right 
way, um, I guess, to say that, right? That being stuck in 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 one particular right identity. stuck is a good word. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I had to look up um, the maternity, so the maternal mm-hmm. mortality rate among Black women. Um, the most, I think, the most updated data is 2017 because of course it takes forever to collect the data and to process it and all that so you know um the C- according to the cdc um black women are three times more likely to die from a pregnancy related um cause than white women and that reminded me when i was looking that up it reminded me i don't know why it stuck with me like i was listening to some podcast years ago can't remember what podcast but it was about these cuban doctors in 2018 they visited the south side of chicago because and i had to i think it had to do with health overall but it specifically had to do with with um the the maternal mortality rate in in a predominantly black community um and so they called in cute the the medical community there called in Cuban doctors you know wow. and I mean the infant mortality rate in Cuba is 4.1 per that's 2017 per thousand um, live births right that's a couple years ago in the US is 5.4 that's and and then within that 5.4 if you wow. disaggregate right who are who who which children in which communities are dying you know it, it really um, it makes one think I think you know of what's happening in society that certain groups of people are are having these negative public health outcomes yeah incredible huh 5.4 in the u.s <laughs> yeah um all right and i i also appreciated you know the chi gave us the history of duels i mean i I knew nothing about doulas. I mean, I am not a mother, um, and I've never really engaged with women who work as doulas. So, you know, it was um, interesting, and I I appreciate how she contextualized it and and Mm. the medicalization, the professionalization, which, you know... That struck me, too. uh, Excludes... Um, people from from doing Doing. the work that needs to be done which she talks about a little bit later Um, well in that way that we have to give credentials Mm -hmm. in order to be valued or valued you know valuable yeah and 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 that that's interesting because she did talk about when you don't have anything else to give you're used up you know you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that uh yeah well, huh. we're going to go into a song break, um, and then we'll go to another part of our interview with uh, Perpetual. So we uh, are going to play Alicia Keys and Brandy Carlisle, A Beautiful Noise. Started out as a whisper, turned into a scream, made a beautiful noise. Shoulder to shoulder, marching in the street. When you're all alone, it's a quiet break. But when you're band together, it's a choir of thunder and rain. Now we have a choice, cause I have a voice. I'm not living to die. Don't stand in a wasteland, look at me in the eye. Stop. 
stop living a lie and stand up next to me. You gotta put one foot in front of the other with a hand in a hand holding on to each other. Go on and rejoice, cause you have a voice. It is loud, it is clear, you're stronger. Sisters to the violence of my brother We can, we can rage against the river Feel the pain of another I have a voice I have a voice And I let it speak for the ones who aren't yet really free It's killing me No one is saying what we need to hear I will not let silence win I will not see all the pain there's no other choice I have a voice It is loud, it is clear It is stronger than your fear It's for leaving you alone It's for calling out the wrong From the mouths of our mothers to the lips of our daughters We can, we can dream Like our brothers speaking loud like our fathers We can, we can To a scream, made a beautiful noise Shoulder to shoulder, marching in the street When you're all alone, it's a quiet break But when we stand together, it's a choir of thunder and rain Now we have a choice Cause I have a voice Now we have a choice Cause I have a voice Now we have a choice Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WBEW LP, Brattleboro, 107.7 FM. And this is your community radio station, and you're listening to Indigo Radio. We're on every week um, at 1 o'clock. So please tune in or check us out on iTunes Podcast or SoundCloud, and you can also find us on um, social media. So... Um, in the second part here, second segment, we're going to um, play another piece of our interview with uh, Perpetual, um, where she talks about abortion, because, um, of course, you know, we're doing a series on reproductive health from different, you know, talking to different people, um, and I ask her, you know, what does it, what does it mean for her as a doula, for black women, um, this recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. So. Love the connection that you made between like the DSM-5 and maternity death. I was reading Angela Davis' Women, Race, and Class because she has a section on um, racism, birth control, and reproductive rights. And, you know, just to really understand the, the, how race is entwined in birth control 
and it's not just birth control no no distinction or no history right you know and and the um eugenics movement and right so intertwined and so I wonder if you could talk about doula work black women's reproductive health health and also like what does it mean now in the context of overturning of Roe v. Wade and as a black feminist as well I think I think what it means is that people really, including myself, you and I, we have to figure out what it looks like to take agency over our lives and our bodies, knowing that our inherent rights to our bodies can be taken away. And so like, those aren't things that we need to to rely on right it goes beyond our right it goes it it goes it goes into what it is that we require as human beings in order to function what does that look like for us individually because I feel like once we get clear on that then we can figure out what it is that we need to do in terms for ourselves in terms of our character right to do these these things from a place of integrity, but it also to be able to do them with and alongside others, because that's the only way we are going to be able to live because it is very clear in the landscape that we have been surviving in, it's not working. And so if we're continuing to allow ourselves to rely on government entities to make decisions for our humanity, the government is not human. So how, how, did, how, how, how does that make sense? How, how do we allow these systems continue to dictate how it is that we, we navigate this world while we're here as human beings? And so, sure, this, this, federal, this, this has been, federal, Roe versus Wade has been federally overturned, right? And so now this, the decision-making goes back to each of the individual states. So if the decision-making can go back to the individual states, let the decision-making go back to the individual people. And so what does that look like as birth individual birthing people? What does that look like for us to take agency over our bodies? And before we get pregnant, not after, but what does it look like for the next generation of birthing people? How do we have the conversations with them before about, because this is not just about birthing. It's not just about abortion. It's not just about pregnancy. It's about agency with our bodies and with ourselves in order to co-create life with others. This is not just the the abortion part. it's it's, It's a small, small thing in a much bigger picture. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM. And that was Perpetual um, talking about abortion um, in this current moment. Patrice. Well, that was just so beautifully said. Um, As abortion being a small thing and in if it gets framed as you and I were talking earlier uh, as a public health issue, then it takes on different meaning or the idea of agency of our own bodies rather than relying on a federal or a state or when it goes back to individual people, what does that mean? So we vote on it again or, um, so I think her, 
when she talks about that not allowing ourselves to rely on government, that is sort of the revolution part, right? Mm-hmm. You know, how it's not working. In, what we're doing in, do- in this formation, yeah, it's not working. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, and I like that you know that 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 opens up, which you know we we kind of talk about a little bit later in in the interview. It opens up, you know, what are the other possibilities? What are the other mm-hmm. ways of organizing our communities um, and and on upward organizing our society? Um, so yeah, and I I liked that she talked about you know. I, I mean, I use the word prevention, <laughs> I guess, right? Like, before you get pregnant. pregnant. Um, yeah, that. You know, how do we, how do we think about preventative um, health and how is that provide mm. is that provided in, through our public health system? Um, yeah. Um, and so, you know, one thing that, that I've been thinking a lot about you know, in terms of like abortion and what that looks like here in the United States. Um, and, and there's this video which interviews, uh, it's on AJ plus, which is, um, Al Jazeera, um, on, on YouTube, if you want to find it. Uh, and they interview different like activists in Latin America who, you know, in, in Latin American countries where, you know, abortion has been so strictly um, uh, prohibited and, and, and is suddenly overturning, right? It's changing. Whereas in the U.S., it's going in the opposite direction. And so, you know, one of the things that they had mentioned, and, and I hadn't thought about it that way, but was that, you know, the legal wins on abortion in 1973 was on the basis of privacy. Right. Um, and, you know, and it, I... I was watching a presentation um, earlier this week about um, uh, interpersonal violence and about silence and about like, you know, a lot of things not being our business. And so, you know, when we sort of shove something that should be a public health um, issue into something that's couched in privacy, um, I, won- I do wonder, you know, how, how far does that take us as a society? Um, and so, you know, U.S. feminists typically couch abortion also as a choice. Mm-hmm. And so even, but even when abortion was federally, you know, legal, um, that accessibility was still an issue. And so then I, it makes me wonder, like the question that comes up mm-hmm. in my head is, well, did women really have a choice? And if which women had choices, which women did not? Um, but if we frame this in a public health issue, as a public health issue, it becomes something different, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes mm-hmm. accessible to all, you know, kind of like a vaccine or, you know. It takes away that control, the piece that is, uh, that, as you said, was a control issue, not, it shouldn't have been an access issue ever. It became a control over women's bodies. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, um, in this next uh, clip, we talk about, um, or Perpetual talks about uh, mutual aid. And I think that was sort of the, the, you know, when she talks about 
this is not working, you know? So then what, what are other possibilities? Um, and so in this third part, um, she talks about mutual aid, which I've, I've heard her talk about mm. other times. Um, so let, we'll have a listen. You sort of contextualizing that um, because you're right. I mean, I mean, if we looked at abortion, that's that's just part of a larger picture of health and public yes. health. Correct. Um, but you know, you you talked a bit about in some way caring for each other, right? And you know, since the pandemic, like this idea. I mean, I know that it existed before the pandemic. Um, it existed for a while. The the idea of mutual aid, and and I really and like how um, Mariam Kaba defines mutual aid and, you know, really thinking about mutual aid, not just in terms of, you know, delivering food for people who can't go to the store, but also about uh, towards abolition, right? And, and I'm, I'm using that word um, abolition with the definition in mind that Dr. Wilson Gilmore uses of really restructuring society, as you're saying. I wonder, you know, if you could talk a bit about, because you've mentioned this before about mutual aid in past con our past conversations. And so yeah. I'm just curious how you see your work as a doula fitting into mutual aid. If you could give me like a, a like a day to day in some ways, like how does that work? Like how does your work as a doula, like what does that look like day to day also? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, and so in the doula work in the context of mutual aid, I'm going to make it really simple, especially because birth is a continuum, right? So we're not just talking about one event of a baby being born. Birth is a part of a life cycle. And so when we're talking about mutual aid within doula work, we're talking about mutual aid in order for people to live their lives from the time they are born to the time that they're ideally right for me, what I envision with my radical imagination is to the time that the till death and because death dying is also a part of the life cycle. It's there are not two separate entities. Howsoever, specifically within American context, we're conditioned to separate those two, which is why people are so paralyzed by death. And that's where capitalism comes in, right? Because then all of a sudden somebody dies. Oh, I don't know, I'm going to pay for it. And people are in debt for funerals and all of these things. But if we were being prepared for those things from the time, from inception, right? And, we, and so those things and those values can be embedded in our DNA because racism is definitely at this point when we're talking about mental health and epi epigenetics, the trauma... Um, that comes with racism, specifically white body supremacy, that is something that is metabolized within our DNA, right? And we all carry it, no matter what your, your race or your creed is, but it just shows up in different ways. So instead of being born in to this landscape where it's like, I am seen as this based off of my race and my gender and so on and so forth, if there's resources, that are here to support my humanity, all of those other things, they're there, right? At this point, I'm, I'm not romantic enough to say that they're, they're going to be erased, but they become less of a priority. 
and, and then what that I believe can lead to so many different possibilities because then people aren't worried. We have a breast milk, short. we have a, a, a breast formula shortage, right? People aren't worrying about how they, they have to feed the, their kids. I don't know how many people know this, but breast milk banks exist, right? And so that's not something that is like super common knowledge. And often when I'm meeting with clients, they're surprised that that's even available. But those are things that are super important because God forbid there's a, pers uh, a birthing person that needs to have a cesarean and something goes wrong in that cesarean, their child still needs to eat. A breast milk bank is a form of mutual aid. So when I so when I talk about mutual aid in the context of doula work, I'm talking about it in the context of life. Uh, I I like that, and you know, and I've just been doing some reading, um, sort of on black feminism in in this during this week, and um, and one of the things that that different authors talk about, you know, Angela Davis and and also the Kumbahi River. Yes. Is, you know, um, creating a space, it, it's like we live it, as you said, you know, we are conditioned in this society, we live in this society, but sort of ripping, sort of tearing through that and creating this new space, right? And, and finding these new ways of, of being um, that are, as you say, more humanized for all of us. Um, it's great. I love the work that you're doing. Thank you. And I love that. I love that how you bring up like the tearing and the Kambahi River Collective, especially because they were in Boston, right? And so like, and you and I met at UMass Boston and that is what my work is like. My dissertation work is rooted um, yeah. based off of like, and so when I talk ancestry, that's what I'm talking about, right? Because they laid this foundation. What I am talking about is not innovative, or new or or anything of that nature right but it's it is if anything it it's a reverberation that all of this is all encompassing and if you look at is it if you look at it as separate you're denying yourself of a hum, the human experience yeah. because we can't compartmentalize ourselves in that way life doesn't work like that and so when you talk and somebody asked me the other day because i I'm a big believer. I feel like what we're talking about is anarchy, right? And I, I love anarchy, um, like the, the, the concept the philosophy, of philosophy, right? Right. The philosophy, <laughs> yeah. And so, and so with that being said, uh, someone said, the, the person said to me, you know, I, I, I agree with that, like it, it, philosophy, but like, it makes me wonder, would we be in a utopia or a, a utopia or a dystopia? And I'm like, for me, right? I'm like, I don't think it would, if we got to that time, I don't think it would be either or. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, we're in the dystopia now. I mean, utopia so, means no place. That means yes. it's a place that doesn't exist. Yes. So, you know, I mean, it's it's up to us to create that place yes. here and now. Yes. And the thing, but the thing about it is, right? What we're talking about, it does exist. We know it exists. We're just not integrating it. You mean we're like not the pockets of the existence? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yes. We're not integrating it because it's or not connecting. That it, exactly, because it's not that it doesn't exist, and and, and that's why it, that's why it's so awful in the first place. Because we all know what needs to be done. We know, and when we talk about the Kambahi River collect, they also knew what needed to be done. Angela Davis knows what it needs, but it still hasn't been done. 
Right. And I also think like, you know, you have these little pockets, as you're saying, pushing, pushing, right? I mean, trying to push a really strong social force, right? And so, you know, how, how, how do these little pockets come together to create enough momentum to really exactly because we we've been existing in silos for so long i know yeah yeah and solidarity right yes Um, it's something that that is so critical now it always has been but even more now all right so i'll tell you right now there is no today no day to day (laughs) (laughs) i get snippets Welcome back. Um, you're listening to WBEWLP Brattleboro Indigo Radio, and that was Perpetual, um, who was talking about doula work, um, sort of, you know, in the context of mutual aid. Um, and and one thing I wanted to mention, you know, she mentioned the word epigenetics, and this is something that's come up a lot. I think it's it's. I see it here and there, and I'm, I'm not sure if most people understand what that is. It's an emerging um, field of studies in, 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 um, in genetic studies. Um, and, you know, the, and they're finding through research that, you know, that certain social conditions impact um, certain it impacts proteins that latch onto our DNAs and um, that either suppresses or expresses um, one thing or another. Um, and I, that makes me think, um, there's a reading that I have students do, but also that we've done in, in Spark Teacher Education by Nancy Krieger and uh, Mary Bassett. And, and although it's the reading is from 86, but it is so relevant. Um, the health of black folks, disease, class, and ideology and science. And I think it's really important, and I agree with Perpetual about epigenetics, but I think that, and I, the reason why I think that it is something that it becomes weaponized um, by people, by just people in general in society to blame a certain groups of people in society for their social conditions, right? It becomes, a, 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 again, a weapon. Um, is I, I showed a documentary in my sociology class or intro to sociology class, you know, sort of hoping, you know, because the, the, the documentary explained what epigenetics is, hoping for policymakers to actually change the, the social conditions, um, basically mm-hmm. addressing poverty. And a student responded by saying, oh, so poverty is genetic? And I, I was like, oh, my gosh, I just totally reinforced a dominant idea, but also the fact that that's what's in all our heads, whether we know it or not. That's, we think that greed is natural. We think that we're born with greed. We're born with violence. We're not. And I think that, you know, then since that class, <laughs> and I try to like backpedal in that class, but in any case, um, I, I've thought a lot about how I should talk about these things because it is a reality right as as perpetual mentioned um the epigenetics is a reality it is impacting people and it impacts 
women and children um, on in terms of schools, in terms of a, a lot of things, right? Um, but at the same time, like as an educator, a community educator, but also just, you know, in, in schools, how do I talk about it so that I'm not perpetuating what um, Richard Lewontin calls, um, a, what is it, ideology of biology. Um, and that, you know, and that is rooted, it, it goes all the way back to eugenics, right? That, oh, you know, um, Native Americans, indigenous peoples, African Americans are genetically different, therefore, right? That it's innate, like greed and violence um, and intelligence, right? And so, you know, um, I, I, I just think it's really important to, to think about mm -hmm. these things, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the other aspects, right? So um, Nancy Krieger and Mary Bassett talk about in their health of black folks, you know, causes of poor health outcomes in black communities. There's the explanation why, right? Where people are always grappling for explanations of these things. Well, there was the genetic model, right? Mm -hmm. which just basically said, well, you know, it's in their genes that there's something wrong with these communities. Or there's the environmental model, right, which also is insufficient um, because, for example, she says in her article, like, you know, like lead, right, is harmful, but it doesn't explain why black communities have a higher rate of lead poisoning, right? There's a lack of analysis of the mm. social forces that cause disease. Um, and I think that this isn't something that most people think about. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm reading a more recent article in 2017 by Stuart A. Newman, and the article is called The Divisive Gene. And he says, and I'm quoting here, even as the notion of the all-powerful gene loses scientific relevance, it is gaining new ideological traction mm -hmm. in the appropriation and privatization of resources, helping to foster inequality among ethnicities and socioeconomic classes. And so once again, right, and I don't think it has shifted at all that a lot of this stuff like, you know, greed and violence or, or you know, poverty is somehow natural, um, that it's in the DNA. So, yeah, I just wanted to address that. Um, even though epigenetics is real, right, and what needs to be addressed is the social so forces that are causing these things to happen and not pointing the finger at the communities, right? Um, so I just want to, like, point that out. Yeah. Patrice. Beautifully said. I, no, I totally agree. I have, I have similar reactions in my class, you know, or there's nothing we can do. It's in our DNA. And that's not, yeah. So we miss that. Yeah. Really beautifully said. I do want to make a comment, though, about something else that she talked and I'm one of those people that did not know that breast milk banks existed yeah wow. I don't either <laughs> you know so I think you know how how we look at what's available the accessibility to who who knows about breast milk banks and what whether you can feed your children if there's if if you have a, a cesarean or you don't have milk or you know I think that's a, an important question that I, I I have not really thought about um and the other piece that she talked about, the separation of birth and death as, as, as separate entities rather than mm -hmm. a continuum or a way that we look at our lives and we don't start out with those um, 
ways of being. And so we separate. We learn to separate from the very beginning rather than integrate. She uses the word integrate, and I, that we're not integrating it. You said that like they're pockets. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to, if the pockets would come together, there'd be more force to integration. So that's something I'm sort of grappling with now is how does integration happen? I mean, I think about it psychologically in childhood memories and we suppress them and then they come forward and then we integrate and then we don't act like children anymore. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it was an interesting analogy that was happening in my head as she talked about that whole notion of of, um, we're just not integrating it. It's it's and you your your idea that, yeah, that the pockets exist. And I also think that, you know, death and birth are commodified, right? Oh. People going to death, death. as she said, um, you know. That's true. Buying a casket, That's where are they going to be? You know, it's ridiculous. Birth, too. Yeah, it's medicalized, um, too. And that yeah. goes with the medicalization, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we are running out of time. Oh. And so what we're going to do, what I'm going to do is we're going to go out with, um, with, a section of the interview with Perpetual where she talks about um, solidarity. And I, I kind of want to, I've been reading different pieces about uh, black feminism and I was reading Bell Hooks this morning. Mm. Um, her chapter uh, in the book Feminism is for Everyone called Visionary Feminism, where in, in essence she says that, you know, you can't create a revolutionary society um, under a regime of supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal logic the radical visionary projects become co-opted right by those forces and it leaves behind most women and mostly women of color and so in in some ways in many ways um perpetual addresses that right that we need to we need to unlearn we need to figure out what we think and what we know what, what we're perpetuating or not perpetuating so um and a few announcements uh i want to make before we play our inner our the last part of the interview um spark teacher education institute is accepting new students um and also this fall look out for um the second round of our climate justice professional development um we had a really good session um this summer and we want to um have another one and also we have an ongoing professional development co- cohort where you know it's a space to talk about these issues for example that we talked about today um and it's a space for teachers and others um activists anyone is welcome um and yeah so let let us know if you have any questions um direct message us on on social media and uh yeah catch us again next week on um on indigo radio and hold on so uh, don't, and don't forget that um, on the 18th of September, the f- last of the four-part series, we're going to be airing on Indigo Radio Sunday, 1 o'clock, um, with Anna Mullane, Dr. Anna Mullaney and Dr. Oya Clark. Okay, and here's Perpetual. So Indigo Radio, we, typically we always ask our guests, you know, for the listeners, but just for people in general, right? How do we work in solidarity? Um you know, with with the onslaught, not just of against women's reproductive freedoms, but life, as you said, right? Mater- mm-hmm. Our material conditions, our food, our clothing, our shelter, mm-hmm. all of that. So what are your thoughts on that in terms of those little pockets working in solidarity? Um, my belief is that we need to lean into self-actualization and really get comfortable sitting with ourselves and with and exploring 
our own conditioning and identifying what it is that we're committed to unlearning before we can turn around and say, we're gonna be in solidarity with anyone or anything. Yeah. Excellent point. We gotta know, I mean, if not, then we, we keep reproducing. That's why we're that's why we're having this conversation right now. I won't say the expletive word, but yeah, we keep yeah. reproducing that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Yep. And the you can boot push on our necks, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you can put sugar on that expletive and it's still gonna be that expletive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, why? Why are we gonna do the same thing over and over? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so my final question is, I know you are a podcaster and I did yes. listen to a couple and I will link it um, on our okay. social media, um, but tell us a little bit about your podcast. So our listeners, okay. be introduced. Um, so, okay, this will be fun. And I have a surprise <laughs> for you. I have a surprise for you. So Pep Talks and Fufu was a podcast that I started in 2019 with a very good friend of mine. Aquia, um, and we met in the creative space um, back in 2009. Um, and so it's just, and she is one of the, one of my first Ghanaian friends. Um, and so my mother's from Liberia, my father is from Ghana, um, and I grew up in Worcester, so super diverse. But so, but when I came to Boston, that diversity was lacking. Um, mm. So that was something that we immediately like bonded over. And she's always just been super integral within my creative life. And so I had gone to the Essence Festival in 2018 and came back super inspired, especially after seeing one of my own favorite podcasts, The Read. And I'm like, I especially, and at this time I was in school, right? And so looking at podcasting and media and this dissertation, I'm like, I want to do this. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I asked her and, and I wanted to focus, I wanted a, a podcast that focused on um, being first generation mental health and the duality of being um, a first generation born in America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and cause that was, those are, those are, those are conversations that me and Aquia would have in silos, right? And we right. would have with our friends in silos and things of that. But I didn't at that time identify any spaces where those conversations were happening on a macro level, right? It was all very mm -hmm. micro. So we did that. It was great. Pandemic hit. Um, and you know, with the pandemic things got really real. Um, and it was also another, it was a, also another reason for me to take pause and inventory on my humanity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Aquia also had a baby, so that was amazing. Um, but the, 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 the pandemic really made us pause and look at our humanity. We did shows in the pandemic, I want to say up until like the summer of 2020. And we went on Instagram live because we couldn't get in studios. Yeah. And so that's why it stops there when you see it. Howsoever, also, I know for me personally, we were, I had to stop and take pause because I'm helping birthing people navigate birth within a pandemic. Mm -hmm. At the same time that people are also dying on a global scale yeah. while also do, completing doctoral study, yeah. while also being completely isolated in a pandemic because I lived alone. Um, well, also like 
you know, there's so many other things that were happening and I just couldn't bring myself to navigate how to teach myself to record from home to say, we're going to like continue this. I needed to honor my capacity. And in doing that, that affirms all of the work that it is that I currently do. And so thankfully that has led to a spinoff on Pep Talks and Fufu, uh, which is going to be Pep Talks with Dr. Pep. That's coming out October 3rd of 2022. I love you, woman.